welcome to Project Recovery, a podcast about addiction. More importantly, it's about recovery. I'm Casey Scott, and normally I'd be introducing Dr. Matt Woolley right now, but uh, he's got a family emergency going on right now that he needs to attend to, and so uh, he'll be back hopefully next week. Um, but that doesn't mean the show stops. It's been a while since we've done a live episode, uh, so we wanted to do another one. Uh, the summer's just been hectic and busy, a lot of things going on, so we wanted to make sure we got another episode out there for you. And I'm excited for today's episode. Uh, we've got a friend of mine on the show. She's coming to us from Action Recovery up in Ogden. But I know her uh, as a lady who used to give me uh, vodka Red Bulls. Amanda, how are you? I'm good. This is Amanda Malabox, uh, and uh, you've been now sober a year since February. Yep. And uh, you're saying Action Recovery gave you your life back. 100% they did. And we're going to find out about that in just a second, but I want to find out more about your story. So first, we'll talk about how we know each other. Um, uh, I used to frequent a bar that you worked at, and uh, you were the server, uh, and were probably on a front row pass to see my demise or to see me spiral out of control. I got to ask you, now we've never talked about this before. Did you see me spinning out of control? Uh, yes, I did. Um, I was always excited for when you walked in, um, but I knew once, like, I guess the switch flipped, uh -huh. I I knew. <laughs> Sad. Yeah. It really, and because I, I now can see that switch being flipped on so many of people that I know that where, you know, and I tell everybody uh, uh, when it comes to partying, um, it's like photography. There's a golden hour. And when, uh, when it, when it, photography is the golden hour, it's an hour in the morning and it's an hour in the evening where the lighting's just perfect. Everything is right. It's really tough to take a bad picture. And when it comes to partying, there's a golden hour where everything just seems to be awesome. It seems to be working. Everybody's happy. Nobody's overindulged. Nobody's fighting. And you just go, Oh, this is cool. But right after that hour's up, that's when it starts to get ugly. And so I tell people when I go to a party that alcohol is involved in, uh, I'm usually good to a, a, about 10 o'clock. Uh, when people start talking to my shoulders, that's when I duck out. Because uh, I got to act like what you're saying is interesting. And um, you, you're acting like you're telling me something that's going to save the world. And it's just no fun for either of us. So I usually bounce out. But when you see that flip being switched in somebody, there is something sad to it, isn't it? Oh, uh, there is, especially with being an alcoholic myself. I mean, I at the time with you and I, I mean, I was still in my addiction, so I didn't see it within me. But it is. You see sadness in eyes. You know, and, and, and right? I mean, I can go back because darn Facebook. It'll send me Facebook memories. Do you remember this? And it'll be pictures with me and my kids. And I can look into my eyes and I can just see unhappiness. I can see lost. I, I, it's just, it's sad. And I think that's the perfect word to describe it. It is just so sad because I know I'm not in there and I'm just doing everything I can to stay afloat. And the only way I know to stay afloat is to drown myself in liquor. Yep. And it's sad. I was thinking about it when I was walking in because I knew I was going to get a chance to talk to you. And I knew we'd talk about the interaction we had where you were serving me alcohol. And I didn't know you were fighting your own addiction as well. But I have been in the, uh, you know, the party world for a long time. And when something would bad to happen to somebody we know, you know, we would think normal people would be like, ooh, maybe that could happen to us. But we don't. We say, Luckily, that didn't happen to us, and we got another day. 
And you would think there would be these flags and all these things coming up. Is like, oh, Casey Scott just got a DUI and might be going to prison. Maybe I ought to check myself. But we don't. No, uh, we don't do it. And honestly, I don't even know if I put or if I had put much thought into it. If somebody, I if somebody had gotten in trouble or something would happen, I'd be like, oh man, that sucks, and I would continue on. Right. I that, that's as far as that would go in my thought process. It, it, it's, and it's not a time to turn back upon ourselves and go. I wonder if what I'm doing could land me in that same situation. We're just happy and uh, grateful that it wasn't us. Yep. Crazy. It is. So where does the story of Amanda Malabox begin? Oh, where did you grow up? So I grew up in Far West. Mm-hmm. Um, I have an older half brother. Uh, my parents. It, everything. I don't know. I grew up in a town to where if you weren't religious, a cowgirl, um, or wealthy, you didn't really typically fit in. And were you any of those three? I was none of those three. <laughs> so, I mean, I honestly, from childhood, never felt a part of, and I felt like something was missing. So you felt like an outsider? I Absolutely. And uh, did you grow up where your parents married the whole time? Um, yeah, my parents married in Plain City, so mm-hmm. not too far of where I grew up. Mm-hmm. Um, and then they ended up getting a divorce because my dad uh, had been fighting his own addiction. Mm-hmm. Um, so that... I was typically home alone a lot of the times. My mom worked two jobs, tried to keep the house afloat while my dad was deep in his addiction, running and gunning. Um, Does addiction run in your family? Oh, yeah, definitely. I mean, I I have a little bit of Native American and it runs deep. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Like my grandpa, great grandpa, alcohol, everything. And so at a young age, you felt like an outsider. Um, Do you remember the first time you tried... Drugs or alcohol? Oh, yeah. Um, even though I wasn't a cowgirl, I, I hung around that scene. Mm-hmm. And uh, we started stealing like a beer from, you know, from our parents' fridges. And yeah, I remember that. I don't know if it, the euphoric feeling necessarily, but like the comfortability set in place. I finally felt either I didn't care or I was comfortable enough to be a part of. And it's interesting you say that because we've had a lot of people who sit down in that chair that you're sitting in right now who said the first time they took an opioid or the first time they took a beer or the first time they smoked a joint, uh, you know, they they felt like they had purpose or like you just said so eloquently, uh, they felt like they didn't care. Right. Uh, Because I think a a lot of us addicts in the beginning uh, are dealing with anxiety, uncertainty, uncertainty. you know, just all those things that youth are dealing with, and we don't know a way to deal with it. No, not at all. And once alcohol came into the picture, um, I mean, from a young age, I, I was like, gosh, I want to say 15, and, you know, I was already blacking out, you know, and it was just once it came into the picture, that's all, like, and I had my confidence. Everybody wanted to be around me where the party was, you know. Um, you know, that's obviously when it started to gradually get worse with other substances. Um, I was going to work hungover, you know, and that's at 15, 16. Yeah. I mean, I look at my 14 year old right now and I just, my mind's blown that I was at such a young age and I was sloughing junior high to go drink, you know? And do you have you had those conversations with your young daughter? Oh. Does she know about your addiction? Does she know about your recovery? And, and where does that stand? 
Yeah, absolutely. I've always been maybe too honest with her, but I I know that she'll eventually, uh, when she gets in the real world, she'll find out anyways. Mm-hmm. Um, she's we've had a, a definitely. I don't know how to explain it. Um, we've had a journey together, and she's been by my side, gratefully. And 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 I've had the similar journey with my kids as well. And I always tell people, I go, I wish my kids didn't have to go on this journey with me. Yeah. Uh, if I could do anything, I would take that pain away from them. But I can tell you, because they did this journey with me, they're going to be stronger, more empathetic, and more loving than anyone I can imagine because of the journey that we've gone on together. And, and I wish they hadn't. I wish, But I don't know any other way I would have gotten sober. I love that you look at it that way because it's it's true. There's a lot of, I mean, I think more so than ever, um, addiction is not as frowned upon. Mm -hmm. Um, But yeah, she's going to have that awareness, not only for herself, but for people around her that are suffering. You know, when I think about my kids and, um, you know, what I've put them through because of my destructive behavior, uh, I am proud that they're going to be more loving, more empathetic and more strong because of it. But something I still deal with today is the shame Mm -hmm. that I've had to put them through, you know, to explain my action to their friends or to not be able to let them go to someone's house because of who I am. You know what I mean? And that breaks my heart. And and, and that's the part that really tears me up. And I I still battle with it. Uh, Luckily, I live in a wonderful community where everybody is still welcoming and inviting me. And and so much in the fact that the 45 days I spent in rehab, I still don't know to this day who mowed my lawn. Oh, my gosh. Really? But they mowed my lawn while I was gone. That's beautiful. And um, no one's ever said anything bad or negative to me. That's not to say that there hasn't been bad or negative stuff said about me. And some of it has been deserved. But the community has been very welcoming to me. So back to your story, young age, going to work hungover at 15. Yeah, um, I ended up working for a local restaurant, and along with my addiction, I became a workaholic. I mean, everything I've done extreme, to the extreme. And I think that's you know par for the course for most addicts. And, mm-hmm. and we've told people before, is like, I mean, look how hard you work to stay drunk or to stay high or to get money to afford the drugs. We've had people in here who are spending $1,500 a day on heroin. And, and, and that's a full-time job. Oh, yeah. And you go, you know, if you could ch- channel that and focus it into a job, you'd be unstoppable because that's what makes addicts so wonderful is that it's that all or nothing mentality. And if I'm in, I'm in. And so if I'm working, I'm working and I'm going to be the best worker you have, but I'm also going to be the best party you have after the door shut. Absolutely. And you're hoping I uh, am not showing up hungover mm-hmm. or ornery the next day. And then that's where it starts to become that slippery slope because you got a hangover, but you got to go to work and you're like, well, maybe I'll just have a couple beers to take that edge off. And that's how it sneaks up on you. Oh, definitely. Um, well, I'd worked for this this restaurant, and I was there for 15 years. I ended up dropping out of school to work full-time. Um, but making decent money, I'm sure. Oh, I was making wonderful money for my age. And I, you know, I was running the front end. I was running the back end. I was cooking. I was serving. Um, I got an opportunity to run the food and beverage at Powder Mountain. And, you know, once again, there's beer there. I'm the boss. And I'd sit in my office, and eventually that phased itself out 
rescue to my addiction. Mm-hmm. You know, and it's just the I wasn't living, and it's it's crazy to see that now. But at the time, you thought you were living your best life ever because you're oh, at yeah. such a young age. People are calling you boss, and uh, you're doing it. You're you're living in a grown up world. I'm making fantastic money. Um, everybody wants to be my friend, especially working at a ski resort, right? Right. Um, so what age did you drop out of high school? Um, I dropped out at the beginning of 11th grade. And how did that conversation go with your parents? Or did you even tell them? So my my dad, again, he was out doing his, his thing. He was at this point not in my life. Um, my mom fought me about it, but she did the best she could do with you know, with the two jobs she was working, uh, finally, you know, she just gave in. She knew that, you know, once she went to work, I would go to school but leave. So it didn't, the fight was just a In the bit. front door, out the back door. Right. She would rather me, I guess, and I'm speaking for her, I could be wrong, but at least I was working. Mm-hmm. Then just out and doing who knows what, but I'm sure it broke her heart. It's kind of crazy how back then was actually it's not, but it's such a fog, right? Mm-hmm. And it's just because most of the time I was I was loaded on some, you know. And then um, cocaine got involved, and I ended up going to rehab at seventeen for that, you know. And so, how quick did it escalate from alcohol into harder drugs? Um. So of course, I mean it's your typical uh, addict story, right? It went alcohol to marijuana. Um, full force. I was probably like 16. It went extremely quick. Once, um, I was partying more, I was meeting more people, you know, and that's, I, when I was 17, the Coke was involved. Um, and I went downhill quick. I mean, I'd say in a matter of six months, I mean, I was 80 pounds, hair was falling out. Um, you got a luscious head of hair. <laughs> well, it was, it's coming back still. What led up to you going to rehab at 17? Um, what led up to it is I remember uh, distinctively I was in the shower and I was nodding out. I'm like, oh my gosh, am I, am I overdosing right now? I'm 17 years old. And I went downstairs and gosh, by the grace of God, my mom's like, you need to get help or get out of my house. And of course I played the card of what are you talking about? She goes, no, I'm serious. You need to get help or you need to leave. And I said, okay, I will. And she goes, no, now. So she ended up getting me into the ACT. Imagine because you're a mother mm-hmm. and your mother having to say that to you, how much control, courage it takes to have that conversation with your daughter. Going, listen, I love you, but you either need to get help or you need to get out. I just, I, it breaks my heart to think about having that conversation with my daughter. Right. I truly hope I don't have to, you know, it's just, I hope she's learned from watching. Like it's a, we always, we consistently have a conversation about addiction Mm -hmm. and how quick it happens. It escalates quick. I mean, a lot of people uh, think that it, it, it's years and years in the making, and for some it is. Right. Uh, you know, me, I started drinking when I was 14, uh, didn't go into rehab until I was 44. Uh, you know, and, and truth be told, there's probably times before that I should have gone into rehab, but I was running and gunning, trying to stay afloat, trying to think my way out of it, doing everything I could to, but admit to myself that I'm an alcoholic. Right. So... 
your mom says, we're getting you into the ACT. Yeah. So I had gotten into the ACT. Uh, my main concern was my job. Uh, they were uh, gratefully supportive about it. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was in there and everybody had left. I mean, I think I was in there maybe a week, mm-hmm. if not less than. Everybody had left uh, to go to a meeting. And at that point, I, the people who hadn't gotten their first step done needed to stay back. So I left, went and used drugs, um, came back, immediately confessed to my counselor. Because it hit me right then. I'm like, I can't even stay sober in rehab. I mean, what, what am I doing? And I went to my counselor and I, you know, I'd confessed. I'm like, look, I went and used while you guys were gone. Um, not thinking I was going to have any repercussions. And he said, okay. And you thought you were doing the right thing. I thought it was, you know, I'm being honest finally. (laughs) (laughs) But you know what? You say that laughingly, but But I remember the first time I was honest and I'm like, I'm being honest with you. Uh, I know that means I've been lying to you and, and I have been lying to you, but now I'm not. I'm being honest and you're punishing me. Right. Well, and he, it, it, what's crazy is it was family. It was the day that the family came mm. that I had confessed. And he's like, look, you either tell your mom now or we're going to tell her in group. Um, obviously, I could not let that happen. I prayed to God for help. And I told her, I'm like, look, I went and used. Um, and it, I, I was so shocked by her response. What was it? She's like, we will get through this. You know, she was so loving and so supportive about it when I was expecting her to just throw her hands up. Mm-hmm. And it, it was a complete opposite. And so I successfully completed the program. And at that time, at such a young age... I thought, okay, well, I'm a drug addict, not an alcoholic. And so I went, continued pretty much immediately. I went back to the drinking. Let me ask you this, because, I mean, that's common in our world. People go, this is my problem. This isn't. I've seen grown men and women still say that. Yeah. I mean, I can't touch that stuff because I'm an addict there. But, yeah, I can kill 30 BLs on the weekend and no big deal. Right. And so when you get out of rehab, you're no longer doing cocaine, but right. you're drinking. And so I'm drinking. Do you, and when do your parents think that that's okay? And I'm not, and I'm not blaming them for anything because oh, no. that nobody – back then, we didn't know anything. And to some people, that made sense. We know now that that's not good. But it makes sense. Oh, absolutely. And my mom was just, she stressed her concerns. Um, It said she didn't think it was a good idea, Mm -hmm. you know, but I think, again, in the back of her mind, I'm holding my job. I'm not showing like any signs of what I had shown her before of being into the drugs. Not losing your hair. Not losing my hair, not, you know, staying up all hours of the night and et cetera. But... I mean, I, I think by that point, I mean, I'm 18, she's 18, 19, maybe even 20. And she's like, you can do what you want, you know? And quickly, like within a year, I'd gotten my first DUI. Mm. And, you know, I have been so fortunate with not hurting someone. Like, because I ended up falling asleep at the wheel or passing out. Um, I hit a mailbox 
I went to the person's house, not thinking I'm completely intoxicated. I just wanted to fix their mailbox. Mm-hmm. Um, Do you know how to fix a mailbox? I was going to pay for it. Okay. You know, I wanted to take care of what I could. <laughs> I could Google it. Yeah. <laughs> I just wonder. Like, I got some tools in the trunk. Is that a secret skill of mine? No. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. But you went there and they called the cops. Yep. And they, they, when I left, they called the cops. Rightfully so. I went home. I passed out. Um, my mom came to the door saying the cops were there. Did a sobriety test in front of my mom. Again, I have the guilt and shame that my mom's watching all this go down in her kitchen. Um, thinking, running stuff in my head on what I could say to get out of it, you know. Playing the game. Playing the game. How old are you? Uh, 20 years old. I was underage. And so they took me to Roy City, uh, did the whole book and release. And at that point, I my mom helped me get a lawyer. Um, I didn't realize how much of a codependent <laughs> my mom was I hate to say that I mean and how could you not be like as a mother and watching your child you want to help them yeah and so and then I would say probably at that time they gave you pink slips right you could still drive for a month um, until your court date until your court date and so I had the pink paper I had a jungle juice in my cup uh, console I was going across the street to show someone where the party was and came back and went uh, the wrong on the wrong way. It was only a one-way street. And there's the cops right at the end of the month. Um, I had gotten my second DUI. Mm-hmm. And so that time... Two DUIs in a month. Two DUIs in one month at 20 years old. Yeah. And so I had went to jail... They let me out. Um, they said the only way they'd let me out if I called my parents. I'm like, I'm an adult. I don't need to do this. And he's like, all right, well, you'll stay in here till Monday. I'm like, okay, can I use your phone? Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know? Yeah. So um, I called my dad. And, you know, again, with the manipulation, my first thing out of his, out of my mouth was because he was upset. It was like four in the morning um, was how, how has it feel to be on the other side? Um, and I made a stab at him, you know, which was not okay. Cause again, I'm still not taking accountability for my actions. I, I'm still not seeing I, I'm an alcoholic. You know, it's, I got caught. Everybody yeah. does it. I just got caught. I'm unlucky. I'm, they, I'm unlucky. They're out for me. They're targeting me. They're following me, you know, victim. Mentality. To the, yeah. 100%. Um, so finally, I'd gotten all that behind me. Um, I did what I needed to do. Um, Any jail time? No. Thank thank goodness, Kelly Carden. Yep. You say Kelly Carden. Can I? Okay. Oh, yeah. He's been on the podcast. Oh, cool. Yeah. yeah. Thank goodness. He, he did a, a great job for me. Um, and so I paid my fines, dealt with not having a license, and went on with life. I had met my daughter's dad. Um had Keola, had a family. Um, we were partiers. So at this t- time in my life, we're drinking at home. There, so there's no driving involved mm-hmm. um, and only drinking. Um, at this point, is alcohol affecting your work or your relationships? Uh, definitely my relationships because I was one of those mean drunks. Mm. Uh, I would black out and be mean and then have to call the next morning. First of all, you know, slyly ask what happened. And- See, I was I was never a mean drunk. I could be uh, obnoxious. 
but I never got really mean, but I would do that same phone call. I would call up my friends the next morning and be like, hey, last night was crazy, huh? And then I would wait yep. to see what they say. And, you know, or I would say, hey, last night was fun. And I remember a couple of times my buddy goes, fun? For who? Yep. You ruined it. I, or I left you there. Or Yeah. I don't know how you got home, but you are an idiot. Yeah. And I remember towards the end, my friends didn't want to hang with me anymore because it was just the unknown. They would just go, no, this is this is not fun. I don't know why you think this is fun, but this is not fun for any of us. Well, like you said, the unknown, right? It's the unpredictable. Like, which Amanda are they going to get? Which Casey are they going to get? Right. You know, is it going to be the cool, not so extreme, or is it going to be I'm taking care of a child? Mm-hmm. And I had the same phone calls. I mean, my friend, she, bless her heart, like, just tried to limit my drinking, you know? Um, just try and limit me. I, Good Lord, I'm going more so. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's the weird thing is when uh, an alcoholic or somebody who's active in addiction has somebody who cares. Right. And wants to limit or safeguard or childproof the house, if you will, uh, to make sure that nothing goes awry. Something flips in us. It was like, well, no. And I remember there are times that I've said that I was going out to the bar that, oh, I'm not going to get that drunk tonight, yeah. were the nights I really got drunk. Oh, I, I that was an every night thing. I'm not going to do what I did last weekend. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to do what I did last night. And I meant it. Like, yes. I meant that I was not going to get that obliterated. And it sure is. It, it was almost like it was worse. Right. Anytime I told myself that, I could I came out the next day way worse. Yeah. And you're like, what happened? Okay. Next time. Yeah. You know, like. How many times do you make that empty? And I shouldn't say empty promise because every time I promised myself, I meant it. I just don't know how to, to do it. I mean, I wanted it in my mind, in my heart. I wanted not to do it. And then I was just as let down as everybody else mm-hmm. when I couldn't fulfill it. Oh, absolutely. And I, you ask how many times? I have no idea. I mean, the, in the years... I was in my, you know, addiction. I have no idea. Multiple, especially towards the end. So it's starting to cause a riff in your relationships. Yep. With your husband and your friends. Yeah. So uh, um, I was fighting every night with my husband. Um, I'd come home from work from Powder Mountain, uh, obliterated. Mm-hmm. It's like again, thank the Lord above. You know, something was watching out for me, driving Powder Mountain Road every night, intoxicated. It's dangerous sober. It's ridiculous. It's just, it's, it's insane. So I'd get home. Um, he knew I, w- I was completely hammered. Yeah. And we'd fight. I'd go back on the, I'd go in the backyard and continue what I had started that day, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so we ended up getting a divorce. Uh, you don't have to talk about it, but I ask... Um... Was the drinking the cause of the divorce? Um, I had denied it for years, but yeah, I'd say a big part of it. Right. We did fight a lot, um, but I think if the drinking wasn't there, it could have been different maybe. And it's tough to go back and, and play that game, but the fact that you acknowledge that it played a huge part in it is is huge. Well, and it's crazy because how many years I would not, it was always his fault. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And now up until like this past year, if I look back, I'm like, no, I played a major role in it. I mean, who wants a wife that's coming home like Hammered. that? 
Yeah. You, you know, like the, a slob. So you get divorced. Get divorced. Uh, move back in with my mom. End up getting into another relationship quickly. Get engaged. And, wow. Uh, but due to the DUIs, I didn't have my license. So it just wasn't realistic to... So no. you still didn't have a, a license? No, that actually, let me back up. So I was still at Powder Mountain mm-hmm. and I got divorced and then I'd gotten another DUI. So this is your third? So this is my third. Yeah. Um, it was during the summer and I was driving down the canyon from boating and I was supposed to go to work the next, that next season to Powder Mountain and that's when I quit. There mm-hmm. we go. Um, from my third DUI. Third DUI... Um, I tried playing the card with the cops of, I'm not rolling down the window until I talk to my lawyer, not realizing that's a refusal. Yeah. And so they automatically, t- it's so funny how smart I thought I was. Right. And- well, I, like this is going to sound dumb, but I used to watch cops and, and, and take notes and figure it just stupid. I mean, it, just stupid. It is ridiculous. Like, yeah, it's like just stupid. I had my window like barely. I'm like, I'm not talking to you till I have a lawyer. Well, I didn't have a lawyer, you, you know, and he's like, okay, you want, <laughs> you want to go this route? You know, and uh, luckily, like the police have been so kind to me, like in all, in all, all these situations mm-hmm. and um, went to jail on that one. They let me out. I mean, it was, I've never had to stay at that time overnight. Um, so I quit, I quit my Powder Mountain job. I ended up moving to Salt Lake with the new, the new fiance. Um, was this guy a drinker? No. So that was super cool. I ended up, the drinking ended up fading away. Well, and then it had to come to a stop at this point. My third DUI, you know, I'm on probation I had to stop drinking, um, and so I ended up getting a job out there. Um, almost became man. They wanted me to be the manager. Like always, excelled tremendously at any place I was at. Um, I had insecurities. Blah blah blah. Ended up calling off the engagement. Moved back home, um, and that's when I landed the job at the country club. Yeah, yeah. And so there you are working there. Um- do you have a license now at this point? At this point, I still don't have a license. I'm Ubering everywhere. I mean, I have probably not had my license more than I've had my license. It's insane. Um, so I would Uber to work every day or my friend would pick me up once we became friends. Um, at this point, I'm still not drinking. Um, I successfully complete probation. And I start hanging out with a really good friend of mine who's still my friend. Um and you know, you know the country club scene, mm-hmm. it, and especially like I went quickly from being a server to being the food and beverage manager. So the drinking started. Oh, I could have one. You know, it started come creaking, creeping in. And that's how it does it. It does. You know, and I was a successful drinker for maybe a month. You know, and then after that, it was drinking on the way to work. Um. You know, drugs got involved again. You know, at this point, I'm I'm doing pills, I'm doing coke, and I'm trying to not feel sick the next day, you know. And so I blame, I was at the country club for three years and quickly, like, made a fool of myself, especially in front of my child. Um, there was times I just, I don't remember going home. The Uber driver, um, 
at that time I said ratted on me, but it was because I was so intoxicated. I left my uh, makeup in his car. So he had came back and I had snuck my way in. I, I'm assuming, I don't remember, um, came back and knocked on the door and he's like, first of all, I want to make sure like she's, this is the right house. Secondly, you know, she okay. This is her makeup. So, um, I had gotten a fight, many fights with my mom and daughter drunk, not remembering any of it, waking mm. up to feeling that tension in the house. And I, you know, it was, that's when it was getting pretty bad, you know? Um, and then I had quit the country club. If I wouldn't have quit, I would have got fired. I mean, I was going downhill super fast. I had gotten a temporary uh, restaurant job, and then I had found uh, the horse where I'm at now today. But um, during all this time, I'm going downhill quick. Uh, the father of my child passes away. Oh. And I, if there was an extra switch of an extra switch, yeah, like that flipped. It was just, and I, I have so much guilt and shame, and I'm going to try to say this without crying but like to this day I, I i feel terrible because i was not there for my child it was so selfish of me to because at this time me and my ex we co-parented great we were friends you know we we did great we didn't the divorce was good i mean it was probably the easiest divorce the judge has ever seen and so it just i felt a piece of my heart uh die when he passed away and the only way I knew to take care of that was the the alcohol, the drugs, and I just went completely overboard and I was not there for my for my kids. So, which sucks, but I can't take it back, you know. Um so anyways, I get really overboard. Um I I'm working at the horse and trying to keep my job there which Carla wasn't really a fan of me at the time. I mean, she only seen the, the, at this time, like the, the, the hot mess, the mess. Right. Um, so she was looking for anything to, to get rid of me, you know, gratefully Aaron, I knew I was good friends with him and he helped me. But, um, anyways, going to work at this time, you know, I finally get my license back. I get a great car. Um, I buy from my sister-in-law and I, gosh, I don't even think I had my license a year. And I ended up, I was on the freeway going home after I went and, you know, had gotten drugs and I was hammered and I get in an accident on the freeway. And like, so a, a vehicle's tires locked up, but my response level with being under the influence was just completely slow. You know, I remember looking to my right. I couldn't get over. Looking to my left, I couldn't get over. Threw my arm up and smashed into a car, which ended up being like a, a three-car, you know, accident. And uh, went to – and COVID was going on. So, again, gratefully didn't go to jail. Got booked and released. And on probation, and I'm still continuing. At this time, I'm really in, in deep with – uh, with pills with, and I'm using and trying to pass my UAs. I'm telling her all sorts of just BS, my mm. probation officer, just begging her, 
um, and trying to fudge. Yeah, anyways, it was... Play the game. Work play the, the system. Game. Play the game. At this point, I know I have a problem because I couldn't stop. I couldn't stop on probation. It's my fourth DUI. You know, um, I couldn't believe I wasn't in prison. You know, my daughter, we didn't have any sort of good relationship at this point. You know, she, we were fighting all the time. Like at this point in my life, I was at my lowest. Um, and I tried to go to Davis and, and get help. And the, the only thought process in my mind is how can I manipulate this? You know, it's just, it wasn't. It's like, yeah, every time I was getting messed up that night, I'm crying, you know, saying I'm a mess. I need help. But I'm still continuing to do the same damn thing every single day. I wake up and I'm still my mind is unhealthy. I'm, you know, not agreeing with the counselor. I'm being a victim, you know, no accountability, no accountability. You know, my poor mom, like she such a dang good mom, you know, but she's feeding into it. Like, she's like, this is not right. The system's not good. You know, in, real, in reality, it's like, no, your, your daughter's not doing what she needs to do. I'm making life so much harder, which I've always done. Right. Um, so finally, uh, after many blackout going home from work from the horse, because at this point I'm Ubering again. Mm-hmm. Um, and my probation officer is getting at, like, at her last end with me. You know, I... I shoot center text messages i just want to go to jail you know because my thought was i'll go to jail i'll get out i'll go back to doing what i'm doing i'll just get this up behind me i'll get her off my back and she's like that's not an option she's like you need to figure it out and so i found action um what I, led you to action so one of my many crying on my uh co-worker's shoulder um she had been in recovery and she knew the she knew a lot of people and she knew an amazing guy who works there, Jim. Mm-hmm. And Jim's a good dude. He's he, been on the podcast. He's so cool. Um, but she had told me, Amanda, you got to call these action people. You got to call them. And finally I called them and I talked to Whitney and for like the first, it probably took me, I don't even know. Like I called around Christmas so that bought me like maybe a week or two mm-hmm. before I initially went in there. Um, and then Because you do the fact finding the first couple of weeks. I just want to see what it's all about. And you know you could tell your loved ones that you made the call. Right. You know, look, I called them today and we're just waiting to see what's going on. You don't understand this whole rehab world. It's, you know, we're trying to figure it out. They're busy. Right. They got a lot of us out there. <laughs> <laughs> there's a lot of us out there. You know, there's a lot of sick people. Yeah. And so, and it's true. It's like, okay. No, it is true. But it's yeah. so true. But even at that point, we're still gaming. We're still trying to play the game. Oh, and it's so crazy. Right? It is. Oh, man, to look back, it's just mind-blowing. But you talk to Whitney, and she finally gets you to come in. Finally gets me in there. Um, honestly, I don't remember the assessment much. <laughs> I, I still kind of... and it, If you showed up drunk, you passed. Right, I, <laughs> you know exactly. I mean? You probably got a problem. I, I made the cut. Yeah. You know? Um, and then when I finally figured out how intensive of a program it was, I was trying to lie and not come in. I was getting clean for one to two days and then going right back out. And this happened for like a month. And finally, you know, they 
put me on a contract. And my for those who don't know, um, when I was in rehab, I never got put on a contract, but I saw multiple multiple people get put on a contract. And a contract is like a, a written agreement between you and the recovery center, saying, "Listen, you keep up this behavior, you do this again." We have no choice but to let you go. Yep. And, and, it, and that's what it was in, in mine. I don't know if it's similar to you you're guys. You're absolutely right. And it's like you need a more extensive program at this point. We want to help you and we're trying to help you. We're giving you all these tools and all these things and you don't seem to be here for the right reason. And what happens now is you're disruptive to the milieu, which is the group. Right. You know what I mean? Because you're triggering other people because you can't do it and we can't have our other um, residents in trouble because you can't play to the rules. Oh, absolutely. And so they put you on contract. Put me on a contract. Again, I'm begging my probation officer to go to jail. Uh, finally, she told me, you know, look, Amanda, if I arrest you, I'm going to arrest you in front of your daughter. I will Ooh. make sure your child is there and I will handcuff you. And I was like, oh, crap, you know, like, I've already done all this. Like, I cannot get arrested in front of my kid. Like, she's lost so, like, hope in me, you know. Um, So I remember I was praying out back. I mean, this was finally I'm at my bottom, right? Like, I am in the, the mess of, like, a terrible mother, a terrible daughter. I have no friends. I have nothing to offer the world. Like, I cannot get sober. I need help. And I remember praying, and I was just like, and I don't mean to get, like, spiritual. or No, do. But, I mean, I, I remember praying, and I was just like, God, please, like, help me. I'm done. Take it. Like, I cannot do this on my own. Um, And I had went to action the next day, and... I'm not sure if it was with, it was within that week. It's finally it started clicking, and it it started. It, oops, sorry. It started working. Um, I started hearing. I started taking accountability. I started doing the work. Um, I started listening to suggestions. Like it was, you know, and it, and still my mind, you know, is still trying to get in the way. Yeah, it was trying to fight it as you know, but not as much as it was. Uh, you know, I wasn't in denial at this point anymore. Like, I was fully surrendering. And, uh, yeah, I just, from then on, it took off. I mean, it, I've had many spiritual, like, moments, you know, with Uber drivers. You know, I met the most amazing people. I'm I'm finally waking up not feeling like crap when I'm expecting to. You know, it's, I'm happy for the first time in my life, I have purpose. The world's pretty beautiful. And the world's beautiful, yeah. It's just, I've never... It's not perfect, but it's beautiful. Right. It's a way better world now, huh? Oh my gosh, it's it's so much easier now knowing... I mean, every day I remind myself. I, I'm an addict and I'm an alcoholic. You have to. I have to. Uh, I mean, I have a routine. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's it's been quite... The, and I wouldn't take any of it back. You know, yes, if I could not have my child see some things she's seen and I, the hurt I've caused, yeah. but of, of course. But I wouldn't be where I'm at today if it wasn't for— You wouldn't be who you are. I wouldn't. I wouldn't take it as serious. 
you know, just like I didn't before. You know, the thing that I find interesting, uh, because on this podcast, we have a lot of people talk about the rock bottom. And the rock bottom is usually something that gets them to go, okay, I surrender or I, t- I w- whatever it is, I'll do it because I don't want to do this anymore. A lot of people talk about being sick and tired of being sick and tired. Yeah. And I hear your story. One, two, three, four DUIs. For many, one would be a rock bottom. Right. Two definitely would. Third, yeah. Fourth, yeah, I'm done. Right. But it seems to me, and I might be wrong, your rock bottom was when your probation officer said, I will arrest you in front of your daughter. 100%. That was the most terrifying. That was the thing to you that said, I just got chills thinking that, no, I will not let that happen. So whatever I need to do, whatever I have to dig in, whoever I have to ask for help, I'm going to do it because I do not want that to happen. She's always, she's already at this point seen so much. Mm -hmm. I think that would be the worst of the worst. You know, it's, she's already been through a lot, you know, and to see her own mom, I mean, in, in my mind, that's just, that's the lowest of the low. And not only was that that was the main like rock bottom, but also the the feeling of hopelessness. Mm-hmm. I I didn't know where to begin. You know, I didn't. But you began where many do with prayer. Yeah, absolutely. And I I have always believed in God. I for me that's my that's my higher power. I've always prayed, but it's always been nine one one prayers. Right, mm-hmm. get me out of this. I'll never do it again. I'll never do it again. Oh crap! I knew. I know. I promised you I'd never do it again. But, but this I, is it. Yeah. This is it. And yeah. you know that was the most genuine and the start, like first prayer I've ever done in my whole life. Like it was. I I meant it. Mm-hmm. You know, and it was asking like just for the help. You know, whatever it may look like. Whatever it may look like. Absolutely, and everything started to get easier. Everything that I made so hard. It was, it was, I was in my own way. Right. It wasn't the, the process. It was me. So you celebrated a one year sobriety in February. Yeah. February 14th. Valentine's. Uh, Valentine's. Like I love my sobriety date. Right. Um, I think that helps a lot is because like I cherish my sobriety date. I think it is such a good one. Um, and to be happy in your own skin, you got to love yourself. Yes. And that's tough, especially through all the stuff that you've put yourself through, your family members too. A lot of times uh, forgiving yourself and finding love for yourself is tough. Oh, it's extremely hard. You know, even when I was first uh, starting the process, I thought that having uh, self-condemnation was the the way to do it, right? Putting myself down, this is how I'm going to get better. Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, pointing out my faults. Pointing out everything I've done wrong, you know, and and yes, and but in a in a manner, in a healthy way. Yeah, you got to have accountability. I mean, you can't go back and say that wasn't me because there's four mugshots saying it was. Right. Right. Absolutely. And, and so you've got to have an ownership in it, but it doesn't mean you got to hate yourself forever. No. And uh, you've got to love yourself, and it seems like you're doing that. Oh, absolutely. I mean. Usually it takes people, gosh, don't quote me on this. I'd like to say, you know, maybe six to nine months to, uh, to complete action. Mm-hmm. 
I didn't want to leave. I mean, I ended up just staying there till they offered me a job. <laughs> <laughs> you know, like she's going to be here. We might as well pay her. Might as well, might as well <laughs> put her on the payroll. I mean, and grateful. Like I just, gosh, that place like had done so good for me. Um, on my and it's crazy when you remove the drugs and alcohol, right? Mm-hmm. You still got you, right? You still got the the unhealthy behaviors. The um, just the na- the negative thinking process. You know what I mean? Oh yeah. The I sick get it. thinking. It's just so. I kept feeling during that process that there's this finish line. I kept feeling like I I'm almost to this finish line, and you know, gratefully, there's not today. Like it's it's crazy to. Well, they call it a recovery journey, not a recovery finish line. Right. I don't think there's ever really a finish line. I think it's. Um, what we do with our recovery and how we react and interact with those ones around us. And that's why I think your story is going to be so amazing. Before we let you go, I want to talk a little bit because not only are you working at Action, yep, you're also working at a bar. Yep. Um, and I'm, I'm guessing that people in your circle didn't think that was such a great idea. Um, I've had especially in the beginning and who knew my story, they're like, there's no way this girl's going to get sober. Right. You know, uh, but could you blame them? Yeah. I mean, I I, I understand that. I mean, that's putting a kid in a candy shop really. Mm -hmm. Um, but I was, you know, fully investing myself in a full-time treatment program. I had no option. Um, and today working where I work, um, it's just crazy. I, I see, I meet, first of all, I meet a lot of extraordinary people mm-hmm. and I, I love what, I love my job because of the people, but also I do see the old me in a lot of people's eyes. That reminds me, um, I just see that, that sadness mm-hmm. that we had talked about earlier. Um, so that helps my, that helps my recovery. And maybe you're there for a reason. Maybe sometime you'll help somebody there. I, I'm completely open. I mean, there's a lot of customers that know I'm doing this today so <laughs> and, and and i love that and you know i think some people might be surprised of how many people actually still work in the bars or the restaurant industry who are in recovery because the crazy thing is is that that's where you spent most of your years that's where your value is in the workforce that is the skill set that you know so all of a sudden to take that away and go put you into a new skill set where you don't know anything and the money's not going to be as good but your bills have stayed the same sometimes you have to make those tough decisions oh absolutely and and, and i'm and i'm guessing that you you went in there you know with a good head on your shoulders going well this is what I got to do because I've, I've got to pay for this and I've got to, this is what I have to do. Well, and it's exactly what I, it's what I do daily. I mean, but it, I don't also, I don't hang out there. Yeah. I go in for, you know, I, I'll probably slaughter this, but like it says in the big book, you know, I go in there for what my purpose is and I leave. Mm-hmm. I, I do not hang out after work. I don't sit with people. I, I leave. Um, it's just, I've done my purpose and it's time to go. Surprisingly, it's harder for me to go to a family function and see old friends drinking than, you know, today anyways, right. And not taking that for granted, but, um, then it is by doing what I do. How's your relationship with your daughter now? And how long did it take to get to, uh, uh, a good place, if you will? Oh my gosh. She 
is the light of my life. I mean, we are so close. And and we've always had this form of closeness, you know, even when I was sick. But, I mean, she's happy. I mean, it was so crazy when I, like, was, and I'm still growing, but, you know, when I, especially in the beginning, not only was I, but she was. Like, gaining trust back, not being, not having anxiety of what mom she's going to what well, mom's going to come home, mm-hmm. you know, um, it, it's, it's been beautiful to watch her transition out of that and finally have trust that like mom can show up now. Um, she, she's my world. I, it's been such a, I'm, I'm very, very grateful. I mean, it's been a journey and it still is. I'm still growing. I'm still learning. And, you know, and she is too. We, like I said, I'm very open about it. She goes, to meetings with me. Um, she, how's, how's mom? Oh, super happy. <laughs> I mean, she... Oh, super happy. She is so happy. I mean, there's times I think I see the fear Yeah. that I the old me will come back. You know, and that's if she sees old behaviors creep in and if I haven't checked myself, you know, because they still come up. Yeah. And I'm happy that she lets me know. But you got different tools in your tool belt to help if those things do come up. Oh, absolutely. I absolutely, I actually address it. You know, I, I process it instead of shoving it and stuffing it and building and numbing it. Yeah, and numbing it. So, last question um, action recovery. What are your thoughts? Like I've told you and everybody, they have saved my life. This is. Everybody that works there is an addict or an alcoholic or both, and they have an understanding because, you know, a BSer can smell a BSer. Yeah. Um, it's, they have, they have so much care and love for you and they don't even know you like in the beginning, you know, and it just, it continues. They, you have people that like truly have your back. A recovery center with a heart. Yeah, Absolutely. They are incredible. I mean, once you finally get your a good standing of recovery underneath your belt, you know, they will do anything and work with you. Like, as long as they, you know, you're doing your program and working the program. And that trust, I guess, to say has been built within, you know, them and the staff. Gosh, they're incredible. I mean, Lizzie's saved me. So Lizzie's been on the podcast. Really? Yeah. That's awesome. And her husband. You should go back and listen to that one. I'm going to. That's a crazy story. I can imagine. Oh, my gosh. Well, thank you for stopping by and sharing your story with Project Recovery. I do apologize that Dr. Matt couldn't be here, but I think you did a wonderful job, and I think your story is going to help so many out there. And I you know, want to express nothing but love and uh, hope to have continued success in your future. Thank you so very much. And in case you forgot, Project Recovery is a KSL podcast. The 
contents of this program are for informational purposes only. The program is not intended to be a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician, licensed therapist, or other qualified health provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition. Never disregard professional medical advice or delay in seeking it because of something you've heard on this program. KSL does not recommend or endorse any specific tests, physicians, products, procedures, opinions, or other information that may be mentioned on the program. Reliance on any information provided on the program is solely at your own risk.